0: Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. This podcast celebrates storytelling as essential. I'm audiobook narrator Teresa Bakken, showcasing the talents of my author and narrator friends. I hope you'll hear an artist you love or find your next favorite wordsmith.
1: I just wanted a counterpoint that was as far away as possible from being a mercenary and going around and beating things on their heads with swords. And so something that was that kind of like mundane and relatable, but is its own kind of like escapist fantasy. Instead of being escapist fantasy about going out and having adventures, it was escapist fantasy about being able to sit a comfortable place and actually see other people's faces, which in the middle of COVID was really relatable <laughs> to me. Yes. You know, God, I would give anything to just go sit in a freaking coffee shop right now.
0: Right. This is Travis Baldry talking about his take on escapist fantasy. His book that he wrote and narrated is called Legends and Lattes. It's the story of a fabled artifact, a stone, and an orc named Viv, who is changing her life, leaving mercenary work. And opening the first coffee shop in the city of Thune. That shop, its regulars, its slowly developing menu, and love story have all struck a chord with legions of fans. Fans of fantasy fiction and also fans of cozy storytelling. After just a few months out on its own, It was acquired by Pan Macmillan's Tor Publishing imprint with a contract for another standalone fantasy. We'll talk about how the second book is going and hear a few minutes from the Legends and Lattes audiobook. But first, the prologue's first line is For anyone who wondered where the other road led. So we start our conversation with that, talking about change in the book, and in Travis's own life. And I read that you have been a very successful game developer. I know you as a fan of your work as a narrator. Here you are entering into this author space, too. And I just wondered, so is is your own life of metamorphosis, of reinvention, working its way into these characters, into this story?
1: Uh, Definitely. Definitely. It was probably the only reason I got done writing it <laughs> was because it was like a personally relatable idea. Um, I mean, everybody in the book is basically becoming something else, even the stable that's becoming a coffee shop. So everything in the book yes. is becoming something else or subverting it in some way. I spent a long time making video games, like you said. I, that was my job. And just those things end up feeling like a foregone conclusion after a while. Hmm. You know, this is what I will do and this is what I will be. I don't know. I got... It didn't work for me after a while. And when I found narration and I found, like, I don't I don't have to do that. I mean, I was never an actor. I didn't... I wasn't in plays. I was not a theater kid. I did not do any of that. It was not a twinkle in my eye. But it ended up being something that I discovered I loved really late yeah. and worked for me. And so that was like a relief and a really freeing kind of thing. So that definitely became one of the major themes. Accidentally, maybe. I don't think I originally set out with to do that.
0: That's fascinating that it that it evolved as you were doing it. And it's funny that you even just said, like, I came to it late. Because I feel like one of the ideas of this book is, like, it's never too late.
1: Yeah. It's a relief, you know, that it's not too late. It's just the realization that you can still do something else different right the, the weird thing is that i still i outlined the whole story without kind of having that in mind so the story really does mostly follow the outline but it's weird how much latitude there is in between things happening to have something bend a different way than you anticipated
0: tell me a little bit about the characters that populate this book and where they came from for you
1: um the idea is that she seeks out this stone that's supposed to to kind of like make things fall into place for her and for her she imagines that that's just making things be successful but the ultimate point of the thing is that it just draws people who are good for each other near to each other that are you know meant to help each other who just work well together so it's like that assembly of like the found family um and it's kind of like It's sort of like your adventuring party of people. You have all the people who have their roles, you know, oh, we've got the guy with the sword and the guy with the bow and there's the magic person and whatever. But here that's, it's more like the parts of the people that you want in your life. The person who always has the solid advice and fixes things. The person who has this practical and artistic bent and, you know, makes sure that you stay true to what you're doing. Uh, the person who cooks the really good food and, you know, just that everybody kind of gathers around. So they're like all these little components of like just a group of people that work well together. And that the assembly of those people was more important than anything else.
0: One of the things that you just said when I asked you to describe the characters was how how they fit together. So so not only have you written a book where the characters themselves are seeking their authenticity, seeking to be their their true self or a new version of themselves, but then you really do talk about how things complement each other, where we fit together. I think sometimes, you know, we are really in a bubble or in an echo chamber and we don't even realize that's what we're missing, right? Yeah. Is this complementary person. So I, I love the way that you crafted these characters to fit together.
1: It was a really relatable thing to me too, because so I, I, I don't want to go back to the game industry too much, but I spent, you know, decades doing that. And it's a really, um, it's very non-diverse industry. Wow. It's mostly white dudes who are like 20 to 40. And that's mostly what's there. And when I left that industry and started doing audiobooks, it's just, it's really diverse. There's so many different kinds of people. And it was just, right. it was like, it was so startling to me and so nice to suddenly be interacting with so many different kinds of people with so many different points of view. Mm. I liked that. I it was just really powerful for me. So that I, I'm sure is part of the reason for that. Just the realization that being exposed to really really different people just kind of enriches your life in ways that you don't expect.
0: You do have a really you have very powerful women. Where was the inspiration for that?
1: I knew at the beginning that I was definitely going to have a female protagonist. Part of the fantasy for me is it's a world where they're not real sexism and racism for the most part. You know, people just don't worry about those things. Yeah, it's just that's us all. That's part of the escapist fantasy, right? Is that these are just resolved things? And it's not. It's not an issue. And so why why wouldn't it be like balanced? Um, also, I again, I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading like dude adventure fiction all the time, you know, because I'm a guy and I'm a narrator. I'm usually reading guy POV stuff.
0: Right, right.
1: All about the action adventure guy. I read a lot of adventure stuff. So I just wanted something that was not that. But I wanted them to just be people. I didn't want it to be about their gender at all. I just wanted it to just be these are people and that doesn't matter, which I think is nice. Again, it's kind of like that. It doesn't have to be, oh, it's a surprise. It's a woman. Oh, surprise. It's this. It's just, it just is.
0: It just is. It just is. I think you achieved that so beautifully. So you came to this as a narrator. We were just talking about roles that you play as a narrator. Mm-hmm. As you were writing, I'm assuming you were reading aloud to feel how the story felt aloud.
1: Not while I was writing, but I do it in my head. At this point, I think I don't know. I f- I feel like that's probably developed from being a narrator. Like because when you're when you're narrating, you're you're kind of reading ahead. You're always scanning the sentence. You're feeling out the shape of where it's going to bend. Yes. As you go, so I already have a pretty strong internal monologue for that kind of thing when I'm writing. So it felt like that was an advantage to me. It felt like I I got to like fold that step in while I was writing and It made it easier for me to write in a way that I didn't used to write. And narrating definitely clarified what I do and don't want in a book.
0: Okay, so that, I was curious about that because you do some things that as a narrator, I'm like, oh, it's kind of hard. So you have something with the menu Mm -hmm. and you repeat the menu uh, throughout the book. The menu sort of changes in slight ways. And you repeat it, Mm -hmm. and you almost develop, as a narrator, a cadence for it. Like when we come to that point, you have a tone of voice and a cadence and a pacing that is the same each time with the slight change.
1: Yeah. This is something I actually have to do a lot as a narrator. So I read a lot of fiction in a genre called gamelit, which has people read stats, people read tables, people read these little gamey asides. So I end up having to do a lot of that. And it gets kind of tedious. It gets kind of tedious when it's when there's a lot of it. Um, but if it's brief, then it can be fun. So it's almost a nod to that. I don't think I did that intentionally, but I liked it as having like a little marker of progression because part of it is, it's just kind of this very, it's almost this methodical building of things. That's the book. It's like, it's like fixer upper, you know, you're watching the house get built and it's satisfying to watch the house get built. Right. So it's a it's a way of just taking kind of more abstract things like we added something to the menu and having a way to line out that progression that is sort of satisfying to watch happen.
0: It was satisfying to listen to. I loved it. You also have sort of um, a humph. Cal.
1: Cal in his hmms. Yep. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> yep.
0: Yes. And you did it just it was consistent. It was part of his character. It was the most effective humph <laughs> that I think I've ever heard in an audio book because it was just, it was part of who he was. And I almost craved it by the end. I just wanted to interact with him some more. I loved hearing it.
1: So I probably couldn't have written this book. I don't think I've, I hadn't narrated for years at this point because when you're writing, it's hard to, you know how people say when you write something, you should read it out loud to edit it. And you were just talking about reading it aloud. Yes. Well, that's really it's really useful to read aloud somebody else's books hundreds and hundreds of times because anything you don't like, you're gonna recognize and you're gonna start to figure out why you don't like it. And anything that you really respond to, you're gonna be like, Wow, I really respond well to this. So it's like this tight loop of just sort of educating you on what you think is important. Not necessarily what's good, but what you think is important, right? So I don't like really long. Descriptive world building passages. So, this book is really light on that. Right. Because I don't, I don't like it. I, I like really light touch stuff. After I read a page about the rugs, I'm tired as a narrator. It's like, I, that wasn't interesting to me. And it was hard for me to f- make that compelling or feel compelling, which may be my failing, right? I just don't find rugs that compelling. But those sorts of like really dense details, I don't respond too well. And I know what I like about dialogue. I like quick, evocative dialogue that says everything it needs to say and doesn't belabor it or repeat it. Yes. Because once I've given that as a narrator, I don't want to re-deliver it. Like I, I, I got it across and now I feel like I'm just banging it. I'm beating it over the head. So all of those sorts of weird little things that happen while you're narrating just have sort of feedback into when you're writing, you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. Or I am going to do this because this is what I like.
0: Okay, that's a good place to pause and listen to some of the audiobook. After the clip, we'll talk to Travis about bakery items. This book has become famous for its cinnamon rolls. First, this is a scene from pretty early in the audiobook, where Viv is trying to acquire an old, dilapidated stable to repurpose the building into her coffee shop. This is from Legends and Lattes, written and narrated by Travis Baldry, published I audio.
2: No matter what Lainey said, Viv didn't really expect to find the much-maligned Ansem at this time of day. She figured she'd ask after him in any swill joint with an open door and, once she knew his haunts, track him down after the day wore on. Turned out she only needed three stops before she found him in residence. The tavern keep looked her up and down after she asked, raising his eyebrows pointedly at Blackblood's hilt over her shoulder. No trouble from me, just business, she said evenly. She tried to look less imposing. Apparently satisfied that she wasn't spoiling for a fight, he cocked a thumb at the corner and went back to swabbing the grime of the bar top into new and more interesting locations. As Viv approached the table, she got the overwhelming impression that she was entering the den of some elderly woodland beast. A badger, perhaps. Not a dangerous sense, but the feeling of a place where he spent so much time that it had absorbed his smell and become essentially his. He even looked like a badger, a big greasy black beard striped with white tangled across his chest. As wide as he was tall, He occupied so much space between the wall and table that when he inhaled deeply, the thing rocked up on its legs. You, Ansem, asked Viv. Ansem allowed that he was. Mind if I sit, she asked, and then sat anyway, leaning black blood against the back of the chair. Truth be told, she wasn't really accustomed to asking permission. Ansem stared at her over puffy lower lids, not hostile, but wary. A tankard sat before him, nearly empty. Viv caught the tavern keep's attention and gestured at it, and Ansem brightened considerably. Much obliged, he muttered. I hear you own the old livery on redstone, that true, asked Viv. Ansem allowed that he did. I'm looking to buy, she said, and have a feeling you might be looking to sell. Ansem seemed surprised, but only briefly. His gaze sharpened, and while he might not have had a head for business, Viv was pretty sure he had one for haggling. Maybe, he rumbled, but that's some prime real estate. Prime! I've had offers before, but most of them don't see past the place to really appreciate the value of the location. That is to say, they underbid. At this point, the tavern keep swapped his tankard for a fresh one, and Ansem visibly warmed to his subject. Oh, yes, so many embarrassing offers. I have to warn you, I know what that lot is worth, and I can't see myself selling to anyone but a serious businessman. B- businesswoman, he amended. Viv flashed her toothy and amused grin, thinking of Laney. Well, Ansem, there's all kinds of business. Very conscious of black blood leaning behind her, she thought of how easy her business, her old business, would have made this negotiation. But I can say for sure that when I do business of any kind, I'm always serious. She reached for her satchel, removed the purse of platinum chits, and hefted it. Withdrawing just one, she held it between thumb and forefinger, inspecting it and letting it catch the light. Platinum was a currency hardly ever seen in a place like this, and she'd need to exchange it for lower denominations soon. But she'd wanted some on hand for just this sort of moment. Ansem's eyes widened. Oh, uh, serious, yes, serious indeed. He took a long pull of his beard to cover his surprise. Sly dog, thought Viv, trying not to smirk. As one serious business person to another, I don't want to waste your time. Viv leaned on an elbow and slid eight platinum chits across the table. That's probably 80 gold sovereigns. I think that covers the value of the lot. I'm sure we can agree that the building is a loss, and I think the odds of another businesswoman tracking you down to pay cash on the barrelhead is vanishing. She held his gaze. He still had the tankard to his mouth, but wasn't swallowing. Viv began to withdraw the chits, and he hurriedly reached out, pulling up short before touching her much larger hand. She raised her eyebrows. I can see you've got a keen eye for value. Ansem blinked rapidly. I do. If you want to take a moment this morning to bring the deed and sign it over, I'll wait here. But I won't wait longer than noon. Turned out the old badger was a lot nimbler than he looked.
0: There's almost a theme of the power of food here. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you have been a chef or a baker?
1: I have not. I like to cook, but I'm not really a baker. And I've never been much of a baker. My wife likes to bake. But I like food a lot. I think about food a lot, but it's also to me it's like part of a coffee shop. It's part of that the smell and the vibe of it. I'm a really smell-driven person. Like I have a really good sense memory for smells. I think baking is is like, just really fragrant. So that's what comes to mind for this stuff because that's that's where I get a lot of my sense memories.
0: Yes, I feel like you've done a lot of transporting the listener, not just through descriptions of the of the characters and the place but through smell it's one of the first things i think i've ever listened to where i was like oh i it was so evocative
1: i think you get a lot of things bound up in a smell like you can quickly if you just say cinnamon people have a lot of they just immediately incorporate a lot of other memories of things
0: yes you do that so beautifully and the character that is the baker is short on words Um, is a fairly quiet genius and maybe is ironically one of my favorite characters in the book. He's a
1: lot of people's favorite characters and he says like almost nothing. He's got like five or six lines.
0: Um, We're talking about Thimble for people that are listening.
1: There's more fan art of Thimble than anything else and they're all very different.
0: That was one of my questions actually. I have noticed a lot of fan art. when I follow you on Twitter and Instagram and all the social media spots that I can find you. And there seem to be people really captivated by many of the characters. And I wonder what that feels like as an author.
1: Crazy. It's crazy. I'm really grateful for it. I don't know what. It's just really, it's it's amazing. I'm just grateful and tickled pink whenever anything shows up. And it's just, honestly, I really just do feel like I bumbled into all of this. It's just very accidental. And so just, you know, kind of grateful to be on the ride, but.
0: That's a good question to ask is how, when did you decide to do this? Um, Was it during COVID? You mentioned sort of the nostalgia for coffee shop and social interaction during COVID. Is that when this was born?
1: Yeah, I did this. uh, This was a national novel writing month. So I wrote this last November. And I didn't really have any expectations of it except to try and finish it. Um, Just because I've tried to do national novel writing a lot before and I've never managed it. And the initial idea was just kind of joking. It was like, you know, I read all this fantasy stuff and I narrate live in Discord and I was talking and I think I said something like, it would be really, you know, it'd be great right now. I just wish I had like a Hallmark movie in the Forgotten Realms, you know, like fantasy Hallmark movie. I just need something that is, that is in a genre that I enjoy, but is basically just like, you know, a bowl of chicken soup right now. So it was a, it was a one month project. And then I decided... So since I'm a narrator, we work with authors all the time. A lot of my clients are indie authors or small pubs. And so I know they all go through the process of publishing their stuff. And I kind of wanted to know how it worked. So I thought I would just go through the whole process and publish it. But I really just wanted to put it out just to see how it worked and pay back my cover art costs. So this was all (laughs) part of the plan.
0: So I finished it wanting more. I wanted to be in Thune more. And I wondered how when you finished writing it, did you know there was more? Before even it sort of took off, did you think, oh, I could, I could stay in this, I could stay in this world longer.
1: I knew pretty quickly after writing it that I thought I could write another book there and I probably wanted to, because I liked getting done. Um, but I didn't want to write a direct sequel. I kind of want to leave Viv alone, let her be retired. So I've have kind of like in my head this more sort of disc world terry pratchett approach where it's all in the same world but it's just different characters having their own little self-contained stories and then you learn a little bit more about the world and maybe people pop up and it sort of builds as you go but you could kind of read anywhere i another thing from being a narrator i like standalone stories i like being done i don't like waiting for volumes to come out i forget what's going on. I don't, I don't want to reread. I don't have time to reread. So I like standalone stories. But I also like things that kind of gain, you know, kind of like resonance as they go on, as you, as you experience them for longer. So that's what I thought I would do. So I am writing this right now. I'm fussing around with it. I had a pretty strong idea. And some of that's reshaping in my brain as I figure out what kind of like what's important to me. Um, so I am... I'm trying to make sure it happens and it isn't terrible. (laughs) I didn't write with any expectations the previous time. So it's very different writing with anybody expecting anything of you.
0: Yes. You have to stay in the same mind space of you're just creating something.
1: Yeah. And at the end of it I have to like it. Um, It has to be something I want to do. And, you know, I don't have a vast well of experience. So like I really did bumble into it. And so I'm still bumbling and I will bumble my way through this book too.
0: Well, I think so to me, that sort of feels like serendipity, right? Bumbling is one way to think about it, but that you feel like, oh, and then I crossed paths with this person and then I decided to do this and then the cover art did that. And do you feel like that? Do you feel serendipity in this process?
1: I mean, I f- probably, yes. I mean, it feels like things sort of lined up for that to work in a, in a way that you can't, you certainly can't plan for. So it's a much nicer way of saying bumbling. It's like the universe conspired to make it work well as opposed to I just <laughs> prat-falled my way into it. Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's definitely a nicer way to frame it.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's just there are some sort of serendipity ideas that I feel like you've written about, you know? Yeah. And I'm and yet I feel like then the book sort of did that for you, you know?
1: Yeah, it did. It, did. it, it, it definitely did. It definitely did. And I wish I could say that I planned it. But I definitely appreciate it. So it's like, I feel fortunate. And I, I think I told somebody, I felt like I just accidentally held my bucket under the right rain cloud and just made sure it didn't have any holes in it. You know?
0: Well, I really loved it. I'm so excited to, to meet more people that are coming out of your mind into this world and, and see what adventures they're going on. The last question I always ask, um, the name of this podcast is the Desideratum Podcast. And Desideratum, there was a poem called Desiderata. It had to do with essential things, what you think is essential. And I actually feel like you've written a lot of essential things about relationship and being your own person, like into your into these characters. There are a lot of essential things, but but I like to ask authors for you, if you had to explain to someone this is most essential, what would you say?
1: Um Probably just kindness. Ooh. Yeah. Kind of that more or less underpins, I think, everything. Just being kind. It's one of those other things I didn't figure out till very late.
0: <laughs> <laughs> everything else benefits when you come to it with kindness.
1: It's easier to find, you know, people that you're going to that are gonna work well with you as friends or, or in relationships or whatever else. It's the world kind of responds well to kindness in ways like down the line, like not necessarily immediately always, but it sort of, it works out. It's like the long game. I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I like that answer. That's the simplest answer I think I've ever gotten and yet so uh, complete. So I like that. Thank you. We'll end our chat with Travis Baldry right there. And... I'll end this episode with gratitude for storytellers who create worlds that bring comfort and escapist fantasy. This is a quote from a chess-playing gnome in the Legends and Lattes book. He says, Thank you for letting me sit in the shade of what you've grown. Thank you so much to Travis Baldry, to Tor Audio, And as always, to you. Thanks for listening. It was really a pleasure to hear your voice. Likewise. Likewise.
1: It was very pleasant. I hope you have a wonderful Monday.